Blog Hello, Radio. Dr. Carol Francis from Make Life Happen. Welcome to the show. because you're interested in the power of psychotherapy, counseling, or any sort of intervention that involves a therapist into how it can help you. Most individuals come to therapy because they want help with their depression, their anxiety, the way they are interacting in their relationship, how they do not feel good about themselves in one way or another. You want to be able to feel like whatever negative consequences have happened due to some sort of traumatic situation won't have impact or control on your life anymore. You may be very terrified of certain things that are going on around you, taking taking a plane, having to speak in front of someone, snakes, these specific types of anxieties that come up in your life. And maybe you're in a relationship with an individual that's extremely difficult to have a good connection with that remains healthy over a standard amount of time. So that you do come to a therapist with the hope that they actually can change what is going on for you, both in your situation and the way you respond to it. But fundamentally, most philosophies and most um, psychotherapists believe that individuals come because they'd like to be successful and they'd like to be happy or they'd like to have a sense of contentment and satisfaction in their life. So that being the goal, not really particularly knowing what will make you satisfied or what will make you happy, but that being the goal of being satisfied and happy in your life, It is interesting to know that psychotherapy has been shown to have a significant impact on brain function. And why is that important to start off on this program in terms of looking at psychotherapy? It's to prove to you that, yes, in fact, psychotherapy, when it is done in a fashion that's going to actually help you, will actually have an impact on your brain, not short-term only, but actually long-term as well. So I wanted to go through some of that information with you first. You can have a sense of confidence in going forward in any type of psychotherapy that's going to match your personality, and I'll discuss that in a moment. The first thing I'd like you to to pay attention to, and those of you that are scientifically minded, please make sure that you check out an article written by Hasse Carlson, H-A-S-S-E-K-A-R. L-S-S-O-N, a master's uh, medical doctor and a Ph.D. In an August 11, 2011 article that he wrote for Psychiatric Times, which is an online um, news, very worthy news um, journal, so to speak, an online journal, where he writes about how psychotherapy changes the brain. And in a sense, really draws attention to different types of psychotherapy. The ones I'd like to discuss with you today are cognitive behavioral types of therapies, cognitive behavioral therapies, the ones that reduce anxiety that might have to do with um, systematic desensitization. I actually am just going to call them the distressing types of therapy uh, for the sake of uh, being able to discuss the cluster of those types of therapies together. Then you have the psychodynamic psychotherapies, and then you have your uh, interpersonal types of therapies, and um, you have the ones that try to pull together the cognitive work along with the interpersonal types of work as well. There are others that are mentioned in the list on the profile of this particular program, and we'll see if we can get to those as well. But let's cover those basic ones as well. 
cognitive behavioral therapy may be very, very good for those type of people who approach life out of trying to understand a certain type of logic or reasonableness. Cognitive behavioral therapy is actually extremely powerful individuals that are very thoughtful. They do a lot of thinking. In fact, they really believe that thoughts are the avenue toward creating change so they can think something into a different state. And if you find that, in fact, you can think something through and then produce a different change in your behaviors or responses, then cognitive behavioral therapy is automatically something you're doing with yourself. So what's interesting to know is that if you apply cognitive behavioral therapy to major depression or some types of depression and some types of anxiety situations, the actual act of creating a change in the way a person thinks or perceives about something and then how they can maneuver their behaviors associated to those thoughts and beliefs can create a change in the brain that allows them to have a new neural pathway to be able to respond to circumstances that create depression and anxiety. It was found in a number of studies that cognitive behavioral therapy for most individuals that do respond to it well respond better to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, than even to medications in many respects. Why? The medications are really, really helpful in many ways, although they have a lot of side effects and there's a lot of problems with what's called compliance, people not really taking it to the point where it's going to help. But in addition, when the medications are removed, there is not always a permanent change in the brain. So when the cognitive behavioral therapy actually is very effective, in other words, a person follows through and is able to really engage in what it has to offer, there is some indication of actually the longevity of the improvement will impact the individual. In other words, there also appears to be a longevity in the way the brain is actually processing things that ordinarily would make an individual be very depressed. We'll talk about depression on another show and some of the research behind it, but that is um, an interesting component of what's going on. I find that when I work with individuals, and I do use cognitive behavioral therapy, that I find that actually a cross between cognitive work in the moments when an individual is cognitively and behaviorally available for change is very helpful along with psychodynamic interpersonal types of psychotherapy. Now, for a therapist, for me to combine all of those together is probably not the purest approach. It's called eclecticism, which means you're combining a whole lot of different interventions to match the person. But the reason I want to bring that idea up is that at any given point in time when a person comes into my office, they, on different days, given different situations, actually have different portions of their brain or their personality available for actually doing the work. <clears throat> a person's in a high state of stress. Chances are cognitive behavioral therapy will feel very much like a mismanagement of what they're going through, very unempathic, relatively speaking. Yes, it's all about coming up with a solution, but when there's high anxiety or high depression or high sorrow or loss, Using an individual first is the soothing interventions of a genuine personal interaction that allows that person to understand how to metabolize the emotional intensity of what they're going through. And the way we metabolize our emotional intensities usually is with someone truly understanding what we're going through, the feelings, and the authenticity of the interaction or the reactions to what's happening. So that the interpersonal or the dialectic or the psychotherapeutic approach is about person to person, the therapist with the individual, the real experiences of real human responses and having that be really appreciated. So excuse the overemphasis on the word real, but 
therapeutic intervention that is done without the authentic interaction of therapist to the person who's seeking the therapy generally does not have the same impact. In fact, there were lots of studies that demonstrated that the primary component of why therapy works is because you can relate to the therapist in an authentic, deep, confidential, and sincere way. So you know that therapist is really there for you to the depth of your benefit. And that has had more consistent outcome in the research as being the component as to if a person feels satisfied with the outcome of a therapy and sees a long-term impact of the therapy on their life. So that I would go not only to the cognitive behavioral, which is about solving the behavioral changes and the cognitive perceptions of what's going on so that you do not have to respond to the stress or the depression of the situation. That is extremely helpful. But if a person comes in there with an interpersonal difficulty or a deep sadness or anxiety, it is the interpersonal interaction that first is going to create a kind of soothing. Let me tie that into the brain function. When a person is going through a high amount of depression or anxiety and it's kind of chronic, it changes the chemistry of the brain. In a sense, you're bathing your brain. Just assume that it's like a chemical factory, a chemical laboratory like you would have in high school or college or middle school. So you have this chemistry lab called your brain. You're going to pour a certain chemical on it, it's going to have a reaction. If you're going to pour bleach on a dark cloth, the cloth is going to get lighter and lighter and lighter until it turns whitish or yellowish. That's just a chemical reaction. So if you're going to pour the hormones associated to depression into your system or you're going to deplete the hormones and stop you from being happy, and you do that over a long amount of time, your brain, of course, is going to respond to be, to that and, be, and begin to groove the patterns of depression associated to the, that miswiring or the, the misapplication of the chemicals over and over and over again until your depression becomes a part of the way you see everything. If you have a relationship with someone where they take the depression and you begin to experience a sense of being soothed, understood, respected, appreciated, cared about, the kindness of it, actually you begin to experience a different flow of chemicals into the brain and various different channels or avenues or um, let's say flow of traffic of messages and signals and electrons can flow differently so that you actually begin to relieve the need for the depression because you're allowing more of what's necessary for the brain to be based to move outside of depression. So there is a change in the brain and the way the brain is patterning itself through that repeated experience. Now, to the degree that an individual can bring home from the therapy what it is that feels so good about that therapeutic interaction and begin to reenact or relive or remember those good components of that relationship, they actually, even in those memories or trying to recapture that experience, they're able to allow their brain, again, to experience what it needs to by way of chemical changes, electron changes, neurological changes that move away from the depression. Now, pharmaceutical interventions are extremely helpful in also being able to do this. And so many times people are impatient with the process of therapy being able to create that change. In addition, sometimes the medication can break the pattern that's becoming so deeply grooved that it can stop that pattern. 
in a really helpful way so the individual can lift themselves out of the depression because now their brain is relieved from having the the depressive kind of neurobiochemical process going on. So pharmaceuticals can be extremely helpful along those lines. But it was interesting to me in the research that was reviewed that really showed that major depressive symptoms seem to be more long-term benefited from the psychotherapy than from the medication. And probably because you are actually causing real changes to take place in an interpersonal field. And after all, we live in an interpersonal field. We don't live with our psychopharmaceuticals making us feel happy. Um, I will say there are some exceptions to that. There's exceptions to everything that I am saying. But overall, this is an interesting realization. Now, not only can we affect depression this way, we can affect anxieties, feelings of certain type of specific phobias, as well as um, stress reactions to traumatic circumstances. Um, these are all extremely helped. Now, I've talked a little bit now, not only about cognitive behavioral therapy, but a little bit about the interpersonal exchange that takes place with dialectic behavioral treatment, uh, interpersonal therapy, and all psychodynamic psychotherapy or psychoanalytic psychotherapy. All of those last really do emphasize the relationship between the client and, and the therapist. In addition, the psychoanalytic psychotherapeutic approaches that deal with past circumstances as they relate to the present in a very emotional, um, imaginative hands-on, personal arena also helps the rewiring to take place. And in addition, the patterning of past experiences that may have been very deeply grooved and only the very thing that had been patterned into the brain now has new patterns to integrate, such as the powerful, personal, and emotionally satisfying relationship between the therapist and the person seeking the therapy call them clients and patients, but somehow that seems very impersonal. So that you may find that you need to have the interpersonal powerfulness between you and your therapist to go through past events as they affect the present or how things are unfolding in your personality and how you may be causing sabotage or complications in the satisfaction in your life and in your relationships. So that reworking, learning new patterns, learning how to feel and think and interact with yourself and other human beings from a different point of view to get powerful interlude into pain that changes things for you in those types of therapy. Um, so now, let me take a little bit of moment of caveat to really discuss some of the ways in which this has been measured. We now have some powerful neuroimagery capacity through all the wonderful technology that has graced our planet. And they are able to measure what's going on to single photons through what's called a single photon emission. That's called a spec scan or a positive or positron emissions tomography, which is your PET. I'm sorry about sewing on these. And then the functional MRI. These particular studies have the ability to take the brain to measure a number of different systems that are going on in the brain, including brain blood flow and metabolism and can even sometimes get onto a really specific structural awareness of what's going on in different types of brain activity and action. These particular types of studies have allowed us to be able to go on beyond just looking to see whether or not the symptoms are changing to actually being able to see if there's a change going on inside the brain. 
There is some suggestions, for example, that if you take the cognitive therapy and you deal with the major depressive disorders or complications with major depression, that means long-term chronic, very debilitating depression, that you might find that some of the cognitive work is actually changing some prefrontal functions. Therefore, it's changing the portion of the brain that's in the prefrontal cortex. Now, the medications can work upon that as well, but most certainly it looks like the medications deal with the emotional portions of the brain called the amygdala. Um, Is it possible in the amygdala where the negative emotions are emitted, that's where also some psychotherapy takes some change as well? Well, yes, it absolutely seems to be possible. However, it seems that the cognitive therapy seems to have more of an impact on the way you think and analyze and react to depressive circumstances and stimuli differently than just dealing with whether or not your brain is activating an emotional a chemical that's related to a negative emotion. It shouldn't come as any surprise to you that if you eat or you exercise or you sleep in a, in a, in a positive sort of way that you actually feel better. And feeling better makes you respond better. And making you respond better means other people are going to respond majority of the time better to you. That's a, a great feed process in your life. You're fueling yourself. Your body fuels your brain. Your brain fuels your actions and your attitude. Your actions and your attitudes fuel your relationships. And then around and around it goes. So that's a wonderful cycle and absolutely is a reality. So that if you can possibly fuel your body with the foods and the vitamins that it needs and the exercise that it craves for, you are actually going to be increasing a wonderful combination and balance between the dopamine, the serotonin, um, the other sorts of hormones that are bathing, bathing your brain every single moment of your day. And if you are releasing the right combination of these different hormones and creating them or having this process throughout your brain in a positive way, then you're going to feel more positive about what's going on around you, make better decisions, better decisions result in more success, more success makes you feel better. So that cycle that fuels upon itself. As soon as you find yourself relying upon foods that are high in saturated fats, high in your sugars, high in your whites or your glutens, for example, which are really an interesting food component that seems to have a lot of impact and a lot of immune deficiency disorders these days as people are looking at them. And that's based on some research that Paraconin uh, has talked about as well as many, many other individuals have spoken about. So if you look at these types of foods and you are emphasizing them as your 90, 80% type sole source of quote-unquote nutritional um, fuel, you can see your car, your body is not going to respond very well. So it's back to the same formula as we've always known, fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, white, low-saturated meats, uh, low-saturated fat meats, your your uh, your ability to hydrate your body, but it doesn't stop there. Exercise is an amazing antidepressant as well as it seems to help the brain bathe in such a way as to be able to ward off certain types of dementia. In fact, some of the research has indicated that the best pill for dementia to ward it off are those people who exercise to an excellent amount throughout their life and then when they are able to forestall signs of dementia or degrees of dementia by at least 10 years. So there's like this not a perfect equation or perfect correlation, but there seems to be really clear research that indicates that exercise, once again, is a beautiful way to bathe your brain to keep it healthy 
and to keep you optimistic because of the type of the hormones and the activities that are involved in your brain in terms of blood flow and in terms of metabolism and in terms of the right types of chemicals braiding your brain. So think about it for a moment. I didn't include in my list of psychotherapies exercise and good eating, but I am saying that exercise and good eating is all about being able to take care of yourself in terms of depression, anxiety, and your relationships. And, of course, in that equation of sleep. People who have difficulty sleeping have lower cognitive functions, have an inability to keep themselves from being clumsy or awkward and making mistakes at work. They can't respond to situations in a way that are healthy. They often are more inclined to misinterpret what's going on as well. So as a consequence, people without their sleep are more likely to live more successfully and then to reach for those type of chemicals that are actually going to cause more damage to their brain. Yes, you know what I'm going to say. If you are relying upon caffeine to wake yourself up because you're not sleeping adequately, you're actually bathing your brain in something that causes a great deal of inflammation in your body. Nothing wrong with coffee in and of itself, but relying on it in a way that causes it to be out of balance with the rest of your body in terms of alkaline or acid or things of that sort, then chances are you actually are putting up something in your body that's going to burn your body up more than actually accelerating its capacity to perform. We really are a whole lot more in control of our life than we would otherwise think. And I think that's really what I'm trying to bring to it, that the psychotherapy that you choose for yourself in order to get yourself out of these circumstances, you are in control of being able to say, I can actually change my life so that my relationships and my work and my sense of myself and my satisfaction with life and my attitude and disposition toward life can actually be the way I want it to be. And to know that you can dynamically not have to live within the powerlessness, depression, angst, sadness, discouragement of what could go on inside of you is incredibly important as well. In fact, one of the major components of depression, and remember depression and anxiety walk hand in hand often, is the sense of being powerless and out of control. In today's world where we're dealing with a lot of economic stress and watching the world and its infrastructure kind of collapse on itself and not sure that anybody can rescue it because no one's really cooperating with what would cause the remedies, we are really having to be reliant on ourselves if we're going to have any sense of being able to be successful. We can't sit there with our hands out waiting for someone else to take care of us. It is imperative that we take care of ourselves and those around us in order to be able to maximize the opportunities that are in our face and in our lap. But in order to be able to do that, you have to first realize, hey, I've got to take responsibility for myself regardless of how I got into this current circumstance. If I stand around and blame another individual for what's going on all the time, and that's where I stay focused, I will not be able to make the changes in my life that I can make because I'm not taking responsibility that I have actions that can actually change things. So psychotherapy, whether it's cognitive behavioral, dialectic behavioral, psychoanalytic psychotherapy, interpersonal work, or any other type of therapy needs to be approached from your point of view. Not that the therapist will heal you, but your therapist will help you walk the path towards you being able to heal yourself and move beyond what you're at in order to be able to seize hold of the opportunities that are in your face every single day. It's not reaching out to that donut ring as you're on that merry-go-round, when you pass that donut ring, that's the problem about life. You want to say, oh, there's the donut ring. I'm going to reach out for it and grab it. 
even if it's not the whole thing that I wanted in the particular time. Know that every time you reach out to try to make your life a little bit better this time and then the next moment and the next moment and the next moment, every time you do that, you are actually changing your brain chemistry, number one, and you're actually recarving or re... Let's see, it's like looking at a place where... If you think about a dirt road and you see the tires on it, it, there's this middle part and then there's two tire lanes and that's been grooved into the road and then the rains come and if more cars go on that road, that groove becomes even deeper. So that in a sense, if you groove into your brain positive situations, those are actually the natural pathways that your chemicals and your axons, your electrons, all the neurological processes that go on inside your brain are going to be more inclined to follow those things that have been grooved. For individuals who have suffered from a lot of trauma, for example, the trauma, especially if it's been over time or been extremely excruciatingly severe, creates a groove. And if that groove has traveled down many times or in a very severe impact, it's found that the chemicals, the cortisols that go in that spot, make it so that the brain is more inclined to rehearse that horror, those horrible situations over and over and over again. And each time the brain rehearses those things uh, in an unhelpful way, it actually reinforces and makes those grooves even deeper. But one of the consequences of a traumatic reaction is to go over and over again in it, in your dreams, in your nightmare, in your stories. I'm not saying to avoid telling those stories because you have to clean your system out. But I am saying that if you go over and over those situations without having the assistance to move out of them and create other pathways with deeper grooves than the trauma has, then you're only going to re-traumatize yourself. So as a consequence, the idea of being able to go through a therapy where, yes, you go and you work the groove of the trauma, but you're creating other grooves about life that allow you to be able to move forward. So here you are reaching out to the donut ring. Every time you reach out to something else that is positive in your life, just think of it as you training your brain to the boot camp of the process of positive reaching out and positive actions Think of it as a process of you saying, I'm retraining my brain, I'm reorganizing my brain, I'm regrooving my brain, because that is the life I want, not this. And that's what psychotherapy seems to have the power to be able to do. I want to say just a little bit as we're going on here about child play therapy, sand tray therapy, um, behavioral type of work with children as well. As a parent, if you're reinforcing the positive behaviors over and over again, you're going to get more of those. If, as a parent, you're always reacting to the negative, you're going to get more of the negative. It's just the science, a majority of the kids. You're talking about other complications such as ADD or a real sociopathic-type process going on, you're probably needing a little bit of different change in there. But if you're looking at the negative and you're emphasizing it, that's what you're going to get most. Now, let's talk about play therapy or any type of psychotherapy for children. In part, a therapist needs to work with parents because that parents and teachers because that's where the child's getting most of their input. That's where their brain is being developed and, and sculptured. In addition, a child can express so much and be so much freer in different types of therapy where they can actually try to regroup themselves into responding to a situation that makes them more optimistic and more skilled at being able to respond to their world in a way that will produce positive results for them. Well, I'm thanking you so much for 
joining me. And I would love to hear your reactions. I'm not in front of my computer, so I don't get to read your responses or Facebook input. And so you will be listening to this by way of the archive. And I would still love to hear your reactions. So feel free to contact me at Facebook, Dr. Carol Francis Show, or Dr. Carol Francis, or at drcarolfrancis.com. Um, you can call me as well at 310-543-1824. We need to help pull ourselves out of those trenches, and let's see if we can reach out to each other and do just that. I wish you the very best and most optimistic of days. Work hard at getting yourself into the right way of helping yourself be happy. I look forward to talking to you down the road. Take care. Bye-bye.